Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Today's episode of SFF yeah is sponsored by TBR, Book Riot's subscription service offering reading recommendations personalized to your reading life. Looking for the perfect gift for the book lovers in your life this holiday season? Give the gift of TBR, Book Riot's subscription service offering tailored book recommendations as diverse and interesting and as readers are. Choose from plans that allow your loved ones to receive hardcover books in the mail or recommendations by email as a one-time gift or year-long subscription and sit back while our bibliologists do the rest. When your recipient redeems their gift, they'll complete a profile to tell TBR about their reading preferences and what they're looking for, and they can even connect their Goodreads account. Then we'll match them up with a bibliologist who will handpick recommendations just for them. Gifts start at just $15, so there's an option for every budget. TBR is produced in partnership with Print, a bookstore in Portland, Maine, so when you treat someone's shelf, you're supporting an indie too. Visit mytbr.co slash gift to sign up today and give the bookish folks in your life a personalized bookish experience they can enjoy without leaving their home. That's mytbr.co slash gift. Welcome to SFF Yeah, a podcast dedicated to all things science fiction and fantasy. This is episode 92, and we're recording on Friday the 13th. It's November 13th. Yay! And I'm, Sh- <laughs> I'm Sheree Williams, and I'm here with Jen Northington, and we're coming to you from Book Riot. And today, on this strangely ominous day, we're giving you our picks for holiday gift giving this year. I'm totally a believer in lucky number 13. I kind of love recording on Friday the 13th, especially this podcast. It seems appropriate. It does. If only we were talking about like, well, I guess if you believe in lucky number 13, we wouldn't be talking about like horror SFF (laughs) or like, you know, something that involves Friday the 13th style thrillers, I guess. (laughs) We do have some like dark reads coming up on the show. So maybe that's the... That's true. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. I didn't think about that, but you're kind of right. It's it's not like we did it on purpose, but here we are. (laughs) Happy holidays. Here are your dark reads. (laughs) It is what it is. Okay. Let's see. Before, so thank you, first of all, to the listeners who sent in your holiday questions. Um, We actually got a few more that we'll be getting to in future shows. So if we don't answer it on this one, stay tuned. Um, But before we get into those questions, let me tell you about another sponsor, which is Rhythm of War by Brandon Sanderson from Tor Books. You might have heard Brandon Sanderson's name before, possibly, maybe. Uh, And this is the eagerly awaited sequel to the number one New York Times bestselling Oathbringer. Uh, And it's the latest volume in the acclaimed Stormlight Archive. After forming a coalition of human resistance against the enemy invasion, Dalinar Colon and his Knights Radiant have spent a year fighting a protracted, brutal war. Neither side has gained an advantage. Now, as new technological discoveries begin to change the face of the war, the enemy prepares a bold and dangerous operation that could shatter more than just fragile allegiances. So if you are already reading this series, you know, you're excited about it. You're ready for the next one. Um, If you have not, the Stormlight universe features a lot of cool fictional places. There's a labyrinthine trench city. There are uh, enchanted fish in Pure Lake. (laughs) And there are the storm and magic-battered slopes of the Shattered Plains. So Brandon Sanderson has built a very big, wild, large world in this series. Rhythm of War is available now wherever books are sold. And there's a special page for listeners for more information. It's 
bit.ly, that's B-I-T dot L-Y, slash R-O-W-X-S-F-F, yeah. Uh, so you can get more information about the series there. You can also follow Tor Books on Twitter for more Brandon Sanderson news. Thanks so much for sponsoring the show. All right, let's get to your questions. And I'm going to kick us off with a question from Melanie. So Melanie uh, says, I have the stereotypical hard to buy for husband. There's always somebody that's really hard to buy for. He's a big epic sci-fi fantasy fan. He loves the Expanse series, Game of Thrones, Peter F. Hamilton, Jeff Vandermeer, Jeff Vandermeer, sorry, and Neil Stevenson. He also likes N.K. Jemison's series and Octavia Butler. Any ideas for some new author or series? Why don't you kick us off, Jen? All right. I picked For Your Husband, The Poppy War Trilogy by R.F. Kuang, which is complete as of this year. The third and final book is out. I am reading it right now. And let me just preface this with this series is like extremely grimdark uh, trigger warnings, basically all of them. It's really brutal. It's a big war series. But like if your husband is into Game of Thrones and K. Jemison and Octavia Butler, like it's not going to be anything he hasn't read before. Mm-hmm. So this series takes place in a world that is inspired by Chinese history and the Sino-Japanese War, and also, like, all kinds of other elements. I think the author once said that it was uh, her sort of, like, medieval take on Ender's Game. Like, it has a war college, for example. Um, And the main character, Rin, is a war orphan who is um, darker-skinned. She is living with a family that are very unkind to her, and she basically has no prospects for her life they're gonna like sell her off to some dude as a quote-unquote wife and like that's gonna be her life but she's very smart and she's been studying in secret to ace this empire-wide test that sends youth to learn at the academies and she 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 does it she aces this test and like everybody is shocked they accuse her of cheating they can't prove it so she gets sent to synagogue which is the like elite Marshall Academy to train the future officers of this empire. Um, And she gets there and she's so excited. And then, of course, it turns out that her troubles are not over. Uh, The other students are mostly from very wealthy families. They look down on her and her accent. There's colorism involved. Um, And she has to just, like, keep her head down and try to find friends where she can. She also finds that she has magic powers uh, that are very hard for her to control. They include fire. It's very intense. And she gets, then a war happens. So, you know, all of these students are sent out to the battle. And she gets caught up in the middle of this whole conflict and, like, very bad things happen. It's really, it's kind of astonishing to me that I'm still reading it because I have a limited amount of energy for books that, for series that go this dark. But it's so well done. Like, it's really, really good. Like, Kwong is really digging into what it's like to be a young person at the center of this kind of conflict and, like, the horrible choices you make because you feel like they're the only right choice, which is, like, it can't possibly be true, and yet here's where we are. Um, And the characters are so compelling. The world is so richly built. Like, it just is so immersive and engaging. And, yeah, I think your husband might really dig it. And, like, how often do I get to recommend a complete trilogy? Not that often. So, again, that's the poppy war by rf kuang definitely have to read that one and my pick also comes with trigger warnings but i had the same sort of thought because of the game of thrones stuff and everything else i feel like it's okay so mine has trigger warnings for mentions of sexual assault there's also suicide and self-harm happening in the green bone saga by fonda lee so since it sounds like your husband's looking for kind of a sizable read with a lot of world building, my mind immediately gravitated towards epic fantasy. But then I thought about the Neil Stevenson mention and thought he might be interested in checking out kind of an epic read, but also with an urban edge. So 
that's why I thought about the Green Bones saga. So the saga starts with Jade City, where we're introduced to the Call family, and they're one of two crime syndicates controlling the island nation of Kikon. And the island is a sort of priceless commodity because it's the only place that produces this magical jade. And the jade gives select few enhanced abilities. And there are other people who also covet the jade and they also try to wield it, but, you know, to ruinous effect. It it has some really bad consequences when people who are not fit to wear the jade wear it. So the green bones used to protect their people from foreign threats, but then times changed and the two most powerful clans who are descendant of warriors are all about those prophets now. And so we find the no peak clan in this post-war city and the jade is the foundation of their status and their prosperity. But then there's another clan and its leader knows that there are some cracks in the family with this new generation rising up. So Kal Lan is the new leader. His grandfather passed him the mantle. But he's not about the life of violence and crime. It's just not him. And he's completely unlike his younger brother. And everybody who's in and attached to the clan knows it. And they kind of go with his younger brother's ideas. And Kalan knows that they think the mantle should have been passed to Hilo, but there's tradition. And the two clans are poised for this confrontation, uh, both of them having performed this balancing act of power. And now there are also foreign interests in the jade and this drug that gives people the ability to wear it. So this is a saga that's influenced by... Asian crime drama and classic kung fu movies, which is really interesting. And it's also got that big world-building world vibe and battling families. So it both has that sort of familiar ring of epic science fiction and fantasy, and then also something really fresh and new to shake things up a little if he's looking for something a little bit different. And then the second book, Jade War, is out, and it also expands into this international setting. So it only gets bigger from there. And all of the members of the family are really interesting, including a sister who wants nothing to do with her family's legacy, and also an adopted cousin who's queer. So there's rep there. And it's just a great book with a lot to dig into and another immersive read. So again, I've been talking about The Greenbone Saga by Fonda Lee. I loved that first book. It's so good. It's so good. Yeah. And I, the third one, I think, isn't out yet. It's, I think it's supposed to be out next year. Yeah, so. yeah, I think that's right. A little bit. A little bit. All right. Let's see. Our next question is from Liza or Lisa. Apologies if I have mispronounced that. Uh, who says, I would love some great winter fantasy books to curl up with over this holiday season. Living in Florida, I don't really experience a winter unless I travel, which is obviously not happening this year. So I get all of my snow feels from books. <laughs> I loved Catherine Arden's series, and I already have Sisters of the Winter Wood on my TBR. I lean towards fantasy, but if you have a great sci-fi rec, then that would be awesome, too. I'm just laughing about snow feels. That's a great, <laughs> that's a great <laughs> phrase. <laughs> I'm going to I'm going to use that from yeah. now on. I don't I don't get a lot of snow feels, but you know, maybe this year. So, <laughs> I I could not resist for this one. I know you said maybe sci-fi too, but I totally lean on fantasy because I couldn't resist recommending my go-to winter tale. It was actually I think it was the topper. I made a bookish Christmas tree once where you literally stack up your books in mm. the shape of a Christmas tree and it was the topper <laughs> on my Christmas tree of books because it's such a like it's such a wintry tale it's spinning silver by Naomi Novik and I do not like being cold but I do like this book and it definitely <laughs> shares similarities with the bear and the nightingale and also the Sisters of the Winter Wood. So I'm hoping you already, you haven't already read this one. So this is a very fairy tale forward fantasy. It's focused on three young women. There's Miriam, who's the daughter of this sort of ineffective and gentle hearted 
money lender. And then there's also Wanda who lives with her little brother in poverty and also under their abusive father's rule. And then there's also Irina who's this really unhappy, underestimated daughter of a lord. And the story is really interesting in that it shifts perspectives between the three, which is something I personally love. And it follows them as they face these these challenges that are kind of unique to them, but also you sense that they're connected in some way. And Miriam ends up taking over her father's business. She's really smart. She's really capable. And where her father is kind of gentle-hearted to a fault and, for instance, lets people not pay what they owe to the detriment of her family, she is not that person. She is knocking on your door telling you what you owe and getting that money. So she ends up taking over her father's business to get her family out of hot water. And she ends up gaining the attention of the Steric King, who decides to abuse her abilities and hold her captive. And then there's Wanda, who escapes her father's home through these really terrifying circumstances and brings her brother along with her, her little brother. And then Irina is married off to the Tsar, who's this kind of sad boy character <laughs> with this really terrible temper and also unpleasantly dealings with a demon. So there's magic and there's circumstance that caused their paths to cross in this really incredible story about three very different but very courageous and independent women. And I love that the three of them defy expectations, but they also reveal a lot of flaws, like Miriam's boasting is what got her into trouble with the Steric King. And they're my favorite kinds of characters in that they feel and act in really human ways. They're not like necessarily your picture perfect heroes. And I just think this this is a, a perfect book to curl up beside the fire with. It's very cozy in a way. And the entire setting is one of snow and ice. And winter is this really integral part of the story that makes everything both more challenging and more imaginative. And the Steric King's home is nowhere I would want to be ever. But the descriptions of it are really, really fantastic. And it'll put you right in that place in this snowy, icy kingdom. It's just really immersive. It's really beautifully told. And it's just so satisfying. And I think if, if you finish it and you love it, you should definitely pick up Uprooted next. So again, I've been talking about Spinning Silver by Naomi Novik. I will co-sign that, Wreck. That is the snowiest book. It's so snowy. <laughs> it's extremely snowy. Uh, also an extremely snowy fantasy with great female characters. I am recommending... I, th I, I did think about a sci-fi one for you, but then I was like, no, wait, I have to recommend this yeah, one instead. <laughs> um, so I picked Girls Made of Snow and Glass by Melissa Basherdust, which the publisher pitched as Frozen meets the Bloody Chamber slash retelling of Snow White. And wow, I yeah, I know it's it's a lot like that's a lot to live <laughs> up to. <laughs> but I, I did love this book. Um, it is two sort of parallel narratives. Um, one is Mina, who is the daughter of a very vicious and like abusive magician. Um, and she has led a very loveless life. And uh, she like actually has a heart of glass. And her father like tells her, you know, she's like, you'll never know love like you, you can't, um, uh, you know, this is just how you are and what you're doomed to. And she's like, well, to hell with you. I'm going to marry this king because I'm pretty and like that's what I have going for me and then I will feel loved. Like I'm going to have the love that I want. So that's her goal is to marry the king. And then you have 15-year-old Lynette. Like fast forward in time. 15-year-old uh, Lynette is the daughter of the king but not Mina's daughter. Mina is her stepmother. And she is a ringer for her mother who died um, when she was very small. And she finds out that it's because the magician, Mina's father, made her like out of snow in the dead queen's image. 
like upon her father's request. Um, but she is just like, well, I don't know anything about this mother who I never met. Like, I want to be like my stepmother, who is amazing. Like, she loves, she and Mina have this beautiful relationship. But of course, uh, things get weird. <laughs> and the two women are pitted against each other and have to find their own narratives. And that's what I love about this book is that it really is 100% about discarding the narratives that other people have told you about yourself and finding your own. And most of it takes place in the like White Spring Castle and its environs, which are 100% snowy all the time. Um, so there's lots of good snow. There is an amazing interlude that goes down to a desert. Uh, just like side note, it's a, it's, and I think it's even it makes it even better because it's such a lovely contrast. Um, and it's just so much fun to see Bashardus like play with these elements and create something that feels really new and satisfying out of them. So. Again, that is Girls Made of Snow and Glass by Melissa Bashardust. I need to read that and get my snowy feels. Yes. On. All right. Well, the next question, I believe, comes from Crystal, judging from the Goodreads account she kindly provided us. So Crystal says, this year for Christmas, my sister and I are buying each other books. This is the cutest. Yes. So she's written, she's writing in to When in Romance, which is our romance podcast, to request a recommendation and I'm writing in to y'all. I'm looking for something in the vein of Orphan Black, Ex Machina, Dollhouse, and the Villains duology by V.E. Schwab. The best way I can think of to describe is amoral people doing kind of terrible things in the name of science that brings up questions of humanity. That's a good description. It is. But isn't, she says, but isn't that just all of sci-fi? Yes. Um, and then Crystal provided us with some examples and also her Goodreads. So we got to look at that. And why don't you let us know your pick, Jen? Yeah. So Crystal mentions uh, Gem Science by Stephanie Salter as being on the radar. Like hard co-sign for that. Yes, you already know I love it. Read it. You'll <laughs> you will too. You too will love it. It's exactly what you're looking for. Um, I'm a big Orphan Black fan as well, so I love this question. And I'm picking for you The Psychology of Time Travel by Kate Muscarenas, which is about what would it be like if four female scientists discovered time travel in 1967. Like, what would that have been like? Uh, and it's really interesting because she spins out this whole, like, real world with a twist scenario, which feels so possible. Like, it feels so... In the way that it's presented, it's like, oh, yeah, like, they spent a lot of time in the lab, and it was hard, but they did it. They built a time machine. And then they, like, you know, turned it into this company, and 50 years later, they have basically, like, a time travel empire. And you're like, yeah, that could happen <laughs> in the same way that, like, you watch, you know, Orphan Black or some of these other shows about, like, science, Dollhouse, whatever, Science Gone Wrong, and you're like, yeah, that could happen. Like, I could see how that could happen. Um, and this also has a murder mystery. There is like a literal locked room, where did the gun go situation. And there are all of these narratives that twine throughout each other. Um, you follow the four scientists uh, as they're inventing it. Um, you follow one of their granddaughters, whose name is Ruby, who like really only knows a very little bit about her grandmother's role in uh, creating time travel for various reasons um, and gets caught up in this murder. There's just like, I mean, it's just so interesting and it's so, it feels so very possible and like talk about amoral. So one of the reasons I picked this for you is because the eventual empire that they build around time travel is captained by one of the scientists who's like very domineering and like hard nosed and very pragmatic, which then leads to this culture of there's like hazing and bullying. And, you know, she really doesn't actually care about 
her staff's well-being as long as they're like doing the thing and not causing her any problems, um, which feels very Rachel uh, to use orphan black uh, characters. And <laughs> there's some of us are like, Whoop. I know. Sorry, um, I got really into this question. Can you tell? Uh, and yeah, so and and they are they're str- the characters are struggling with like yeah when you have this kind of power it it changes you and like what are you going to do with it and some of the answers are like not great um it's a super interesting thought experiment the characters are will suck you right in you'll get really into them in different ways it's so fun and so like fraught um i should give some trigger warnings there is self-harm and some disordered eating and I did mention the hazing and bullying uh, that are part of the plot too. So, you know, just know that going in. Uh, Again, that's The Psychology of Time Travel by Kate Muscarinus. All right, for mine, (laughs) I was going to recommend All the Birds in the Sky by Charlie Jane Anders. And then at the last minute, I thought to actually check your Goodreads list (laughs) and saw that you had already read it. So I very, very quickly at the last minute changed my pick uh, so I wouldn't bore you. And I chose Vida Nostra by Marina and Sergei Diachenko. And this is a work in translation. It's translated by Julia Maytov Hersey. And just fair warning, I don't even think you need it judging from the things you like to read. But this is a really weird fairly dark read that lives in its own sort of category and has very I guess metaphysical sensibilities it's just a very cerebral read if you're into that so you've got magical realism you've got philosophy and so so many mind games happening in this book the whole book is one big mind game and one big experiment And it's told in first person by Alexandra or Sasha Simakina. And Sasha and her mother are on holiday when she ends up being approached by this strange man who compels her to attend this really obscure university in this remote provincial town. And that just like brings up so many red flags, but... For reasons that make this really unlikely setup kind of likely, she ends up going. And it's at this school that is really unlike any other school you have ever heard of or read of. Everything Sasha has ever known about herself and also the world starts to unravel in this really painstaking, really terrible way. And she ends up being forced to live with this constant pressure of knowing that one error, one thing she does wrong in her studies could mean tragedy back home. And Sasha's a really interesting character. She is extremely studious. She's she's very much a loner. Like there's this whole solitary vibe going on with her. And you know right from the start that she has this really intense sense of discipline. You don't necessarily know where it comes from, but that is just her personality. And so Sasha enters this school where all of these personality traits are really, really important in ways she can't even begin to understand because throughout the story, you're going to be as clueless as Sasha is and the reader and Sasha learn more about the school and its purpose in small increments. And it's truly horrifying some of the things the teachers put the kids through. I can't remember any specific triggers about this book, except that it just seems like, I say kids, but they're like, I think at this point, they're probably 18 because they're going to university. But they put these these kids young people through the ringer mentally and the whole time you're wondering what the reasoning is why are they there what is it they're learning to do and the kids who are attending the school are all obviously chosen for some unknown ability so you're following them through their entire education and the story ends up covering a lot of ground and there are no actual heroes in this book though I was obviously rooting for Sasha I wanted to see her get through but really she just initially seems like a really studious incredibly disciplined person there's no real heroism specifically happening here so 
The one thing, the one caveat about this book is that there are two more books in the series, but they are not available yet. And I saw someone mention online that they might already be translated, but I couldn't find any info about a pub date, which makes me sad because it's such a great story and I know it's out there. So all it needs to do is be published. <laughs> but if you don't mind a wait, you should definitely check out Vita Nostra by Marina and Sergei Diachenko, and again, translated by Julia Matov Hersey. Okay, and those are our questions before we get to our general holiday picks. But before we do that, I'm going to tell you about our next sponsor, which is Calypso by Marie Blanchette. Six different people on four different planets are about to die. Lucretia and Pierre Paul are preparing to fight to the death in an arena of gold country. Candy is alone and abandoned on a dying planet. Machiavel and Mirfak are sentenced to hang. Jay is going down with her ship. In their last moments, an alien spaceship appears from the sky and steals them away into the vastness of space. What's waiting for them on board of the Calypso? And why did it take them of all people? Calypso is a weekly webcomic that combines fantasy and science fiction. And the first volume is now available in paperback on Amazon.com. And it might interest you to know that Calypso is a pandemic project. So it was created in April of 2020 and all of it was written, illustrated and edited while the author was stuck at home, which is super impressive. <laughs> I mean, April does seem like a million years ago, but really that's only a few months to get a, a book out. So... Uh, the book is also going to have a virtual launch party on Facebook on November 20th because book tours are hard to do now. True story. And so, yeah, if you like that and mashups of fantasy and sci-fi, check out Calypso, again, by Marie Blanchette. Okay, so let's talk about our pick. Yes. For holiday recommendations. And we were, it looks like we were kind of like all over the place. So I feel like somebody's got to find something out of these. Picks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll kick us off with my pick, which is for anyone looking for a low stakes, fast paced read for reading slumps. I was very much thinking about my experience this year because it was a doozy and I had a really difficult time reading. So if you have a reader in your life who's struggling as well, um, I'm recommending The Empress of Salt and Fortune by Nifo. And the story follows a young cleric Chi who's going to the capital for the new empress's first dragon court. And Chi has this feathered companion who goes by Almost Brilliant, and like Chi, Almost Brilliant is a keeper of knowledge. So on their way to the capital, they end up stopping at this house called Thriving Fortune, and they meet this elderly woman who goes by Rabbit. So lots of great names, first of all. And the story ends up being a really interesting back and forth. So we've got Chi, who's excavating the artifacts of the previous lives lived in Thriving Fortune. And as a keeper of knowledge, she catalogs these possessions and describes them in great detail as part of the story. And then the other part of the story is Rabbit telling the history of these possessions and reacting to their unearthing. So Rabbit is monitoring the whole situation while she is going around like some sort of museum keeper or curator. And then Rabbit's story is this really interesting tale that unfolds about Inyo, who's known as the Empress of Salt and Fortune, who she served when the Empress was in court sent down from the north to wed the emperor, and then also when the Empress lived in thriving fortune. So this story was really just beautifully told. It was about power, a powerful woman who 
you know, everybody was trying to dispose of this woman or undervalued her and about how she wouldn't allow anybody to do that. She was a larger than life character and it's also about rising up and the sacrifices that come with that. And the story of Rabbit and the story of Chi and the Empress of Salt and Fortune are so wonderfully woven together. And it's in pieces that kind of break up the story and make it or keep it interesting, which I think helps with the reading slump process. And then you get to this big reveal, which is wonderful. And you get to learn about Inyo's relationships with the women sent to serve her, which is one of my favorite things about stories. And also the friendship rabbit, the friendships that rabbit makes, and also the cruelty of this emperor. And the dynamic between she and rabbit is also really great. And it has this sort of tender teacher-student bond thing happening. And it's just a overall fantastic book. I read it actually at the beginning of this year and I kind of wish I had saved it for later, but <laughs> there, are, there are plenty more books to read, so it's fine. Uh, so again, if you're looking for something for somebody to break a reading slump, definitely check out The Empress of Salt and Fortune by Nevo. Speaking of books that we read early in the year and wished we had saved for later... <laughs> My first pick has also been deeply informed by this year and how hard it was to read sometimes. Um, so if you are a person or you know a person who really just wants some feel-good, cozy reading vibes, then I am recommending The House in the Cerulean Sea by T.J. Klune. This has a really lovely cover. It is a hardcover, but like it's so pleasing to look upon. I do recommend it also in that regard for gift giving. Um, I will say there is a mention of child abuse in this book, but it's... Um, this is all about like healing for kids who have are out of place. So, you know, that that is the context for that trigger warning. Um, so this is about Linus, who is like he's 40 years old. He lives the quietest of quiet lives. He lives alone in a little house. There's this like cat who just won't leave him alone. It's the worst cat ever. Um and and he is also a caseworker at the department in charge of magical youth. This is like an alternate reality sort of Britain where there it's known that there are people with magic in the world, but they are segregated, quote unquote, for their own protection, um, especially as children and are very much second class citizens. And his job is to make sure that they are being treated well in these government run orphanages. And so and he like believes that he's doing a good thing and that like this is the best for all involved. And then he gets assigned to this case to go to an island where there is an orphanage with six particularly quote unquote dangerous children. Um and they're like they basically are wanting him to find out that the the director of this home has failed. Um, but Linus gets there and he's been like told that these kids are so dangerous, et cetera, et cetera. And he gets there and they're like adorable kids who, you know, one of them also happens to be the Antichrist. Like, whoops, uh, it's, <laughs> it's not his fault. And one of them is a gnome who like, you know, burying things in the garden is her love language like what do you want um there's a a you know a kid who's who basically is in the form of an like amorphous blob and his dearest wish is to be a bellhop in a hotel like it is stinking cute these kids are amazing <laughs> um and the director, the caretaker of this orphanage, Arthur, is like very charming and enigmatic. And Linus is like, oh, no, I this is way I'm in a way over my head. Like, I don't know what to do here. Um, and it just unfolds so beautifully. Like there are moments where you're going to want to like 
stand up on your couch and like cheer. There are moments where you're going to be like, how dare they? Like it's very feelingsy in uh, the best possible way. Um, and it really, I, I have never seen the see something, say something like used in this way where it becomes really sinister the way it's used in this book. And you start to, it will make you think honestly about some of the things that we take for granted in our present day. Um, well, not so much now that we're all stuck at home, but you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> so, so it's a book that is tapped into bigger issues, but also is just like, again, the coziest, feel-goodiest of reads. So that's The House in the Cerulean Sea by T.J. Klune. Okay, well, my pick is I'm going down the dark alley again. (laughs) (laughs) This is a what I am hoping will be a hopeful pandemic catharsis read. But it does come with trigger warnings for child abuse and death and also content warnings for drug addiction and also fat phobic language. So this is The Down Days by Ilze Hugo. And it is uh, certainly not for everybody. It is about an epidemic and people are wearing masks to, pre- to prevent the spread of this disease. And what the disease is, is this laughing epidemic. So it's this really strange sickness that comes over people and causes them to laugh themselves to death. So the story takes place in a quarantined South African city, and I believe it's in the near future, if I'm not mistaken. And there are multiple characters, so this is another uh, multiple storyline, multiple perspective sort of book. And the new normal has been going on for a very long time. It's not so new anymore. Maybe this is like a thing for anybody who needs an extra boost knowing that this is going to last longer than anybody thought but in this story the the death toll is really high and so anybody suspected of catching laughter might end up at these quarantine camps that sound like everybody whispers about them nobody really knows what happens there and the people who end up catching this laughing sickness are called grinners and it eventually degrades their bodies in in really horrible ways. So there's also, there are a few characters. There's a dead collector, so somebody who collects the dead. And there's somebody, or I think there are actually a few characters who are involved with the hair trade. So they procure and sell human hair for weaves and that sort of thing. And then there's this this girl who's an orphan who's in search of her baby brother, who she says was kidnapped. And so she spends the story looking for her brother. And then there are also some side characters who lend their perspectives to this bigger story. And the story moves around really quickly. So considering that this book was kind of heavy, it actually helped in that it moved around and shifted perspectives really quickly. And the stories of each character Um, they end up intertwining some more deeply than others but in the beginning they're all going about their separate lives and then they kind of come closer and closer together and then it's this missing kid that ends up bringing multiple stories together and there's also this mysterious woman known as the unicorn who has a backstory as well and the pony jacker who's this person who deals with hair goes in desperate on a desperate search for her after they have an exchange and then there's also this sisterhood of nuns who are at the helm of the city's hair trade so super super interesting cast of characters it had like I don't even know how to describe it it had this sort of Almost like the feel of a play, I guess, Hmm. which I found really interesting because it's not meant to be like that at all. But I just found the actual reading experience really interesting. 
And there are also lots of things that feel very familiar, like conspiracy theories and all sorts of issues with how the media portrays things and untrustworthy government and controlling of information and things like that. And underground stuff like comedy clubs, because, you know, you're not really supposed to laugh in this place, but people will find their ways. So this is just a really interesting book. And I found it really cathartic, and I seem to be gravitating to that a lot this year. So if you know somebody who might be interested in that, you should check out The Down Days by Ilse Hugo. That's been on my list. I need to get to it. It's hard. Yeah. Uh, the end of the year is coming, so we can make up all sorts of rules for what we're getting to next There time you go. <laughs> <laughs> Good call. Well, I'm going to follow you down this dark alley <laughs> with my next <laughs> pick, which is Black Sun by Rebecca Roanhorse. It's the start of a new series, the uh, Between Earth and Sky series. And this is for all my political fantasy enthusiasts out there. Like, you're still waiting for the next Game of Thrones book. And, <laughs> like, we're going to be waiting forever. But, like, guess what? Mm -hmm. Here you go. <laughs> um, it does come with trigger warnings for harm to children and graphic violence. It's, you know, anything I'm going to comp to Game of Thrones is going to be pretty dark in certain moments. But, oh, man, this is so good. I, I had this on, like, my most anticipated list earlier in the year, and it really lived up to whatever expectations I had put on it. Um, it is inspired by pre-Columbian America. Uh, so all of these different civilizations that were in play, uh, Roan Horse has like studied them and then taken elements and created her own fantasy world that is inspired by but like not limited to. There's also some um, Polynesian influences in as well. And there's magic and there's, you know, angry gods and there's political intrigue like for days it's real good y'all it's real good um you meet a bunch of different characters my favorite character is a sailor uh siala who um you know is like constantly getting into trouble on shore like she's always sleeping with the wrong man or woman and like <laughs> Not super great at keeping her mouth shut when it would be appropriate. And she wakes up in jail and gets bailed out by this rich noble who's like, I need a captain to take a passenger on this, like, very complicated journey that nobody is going to want to do. But you're going to do it because you have to get out of town and you don't have a ship and I will give you one. And she's like, I guess, fine, I will do this thing. And the passenger is a young man who is blind and, like, very kind of foreboding feeling. Um, and the two of them getting to know each other. You already know him when he comes on board, but she doesn't. And the two of them getting to know each other and having adventures in the context of this world is like one of my that relationship is one of my favorite things about this book but I loved all of the characters I loved the magic of this world there's giant crows that like have people that fly on their backs there's all of these intricate religious factions there's so many different cultures at play too which is a thing that I love when you get you know world building that's not just like here's a monoculture and this giant empire like everybody is the same it's like no here's all of these different uh, cultures and societies and ways of being and seeing the world and like they're all gonna mix and clash together and we'll see what happens it's so 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 interesting and so so good um, so again that's Black Sun by Rebecca Roanhorse it's the first book in this new series Between Earth and Sky all right well I am going to I actually don't think this one is too dark there's some there's some bloodshed <laughs> I am going with a <laughs> That's promising. I'm going with a YA fantasy. <laughs> it's Woven in Moonlight by Isabel Ibanez. This is a very beautiful book and I chose this because I wanted something that was like an immersive fantasy read for people like me who love to travel and are feeling forlorn about not getting to this year because this book really does sweep you away to this other place 
so the story follows Jimena and Jimena is a decoy condessa which is definitely a trope in in fantasy that um, I'm just getting into and so Jimena is chosen to act in the real condessa's place because her people are worried about her safety so uh, the actual Condessa and Jimena are best friends. They grew up together. They both lost their parents, so they share their grief in that way. And they've spent their lives in survival mode because their people are in this terrible battle. Their people are the Illustrians and the Loxans have taken over. They were the people who revolted against the Illustrians. So they've been stuck in this struggle and they're just basically trying to protect themselves and their people at this point in time. And it's been years since they've been battle. And Jimena and the Condessa are both trying to do what they can for their people. And they're also trying to reclaim their territory which is La Ciudad, which they once called home. And then, so in order to save their, their people and their place, they're forced to return to La Ciudad. And Jimena specifically is forced to return to this place to become the queen there. So she is set up to marry the ruler there and in that way reclaim their land. And so over the weeks where Jimena is held captive in the Castillo, she ends up having a really truly terrible experience. She loses somebody right at the outset and she's constantly surrounded by the enemy. But Jimena is also really resourceful and she's a great battler that is her thing she's a swords person she knows how to wield a sword she knows how to fight for herself but she also has to maintain this image as the condessa which is very different from this sort of battle ready warrior that she is and there's a lot of stuff happening in this story it definitely explores some really interesting and really great powerful themes like oppressed oppression and there's also themes of privilege and it's one of those stories where you think one way about people and then over time you start to see that what has been told at the beginning of the story and what has been told to Jimena isn't necessarily true and that there's more like in life there are more complexities and nuances and sometimes you're only hearing one side of the story. So I thought that this was really great. It's inspired. The setting is inspired by Bolivia. And Isabel Ibanez is the daughter of Bolivian immigrants. So she's really, she has her expertise. And you can really tell because this story really takes you to this place that feels like Bolivia and a lot of the history and politics that are explored are based on Bolivian history and politics. And it also has really, really amazing descriptions of food, which is one of my favorite things of all time. And there's a little bit of romance in there as well. It's just a really magical, beautiful story that involves things like moon magic and magical animal friends. So it's got some, a sweet side as well. So again, that was Woven in Moonlight by Isabel Ibanez. We are in interesting ways doing similar things because I also picked a YA fantasy. Um, this one is for the person who loves real world stories with a twist, which I think there are many of us out there has some has some magic set in in our present day. It is Cemetery Boys by Aidan Thomas and comes with a warning for uh, the main character experiences transphobia. And this, oh my gosh, I have so many feelings about <laughs> these characters and this story and the magics. Oh my gosh, I just loved it. Um, 
the main character, Yadriel, is trying to prove himself to his like kind of conservative, traditional Latinx family. He uh, is transgender. He is like establishing his identity. And in his family and in his community, there is magic that runs along gendered lines. Um, The women in this family are healers, and then the men are able to uh, exorcise ghosts um, when they become dangerous, because also there are like friendly ghosts and people who are just, you know, hanging around uh, for whatever reasons until eventually they move on. But if they stay for too long, they can come be become dangerous and so the men in his family the brujos um will set these ghosts free and yadriel is determined to prove that he is a brujo um and but like his father is not accepting this and lots of people are just like refusing to acknowledge his identity and he's very frustrated um and so when the book opens he and his cousin maritza who's also his best friend who's amazing i love maritza (laughs) she's vegan and so she like won't do the magic because it involves animal blood and i just like have so much love for maritza um, but they sneak into the the church uh, that's nearby in the graveyard that his family also tends and they perform the ceremony and like Yadriel gets his powers, but now he has to prove to his family that this has happened. Um, and he accidentally summons a ghost of the school's resident bad boy, Julian Diaz. And there's like all kinds of problems with this situation because... Julian does not know why he's dead. He like he's like I'm not supposed to be dead. Like I was just hanging out with my friends and then this guy was trying to mug my friend and now I'm here. Like what the hell is going on? Uh and so it turns into this whole, you know, unravel the murder mystery that leads Yadriel in directions you really like he really does not want to go. Uh and it's just so inventive and immersive and like I read this not too far off of Halloween there's a lot of Dia de los Muertos imagery and inspiration in here as well and it was just like perfect for that Um, but I think you could read this at any time and feel like you're there in that moment uh, and with these characters experiencing what they do and it also gave me a lot of LA feels like I lived in LA for five (laughs) years and there's so many I mean it takes place in in Los Angeles um, and around uh, the city. And I just had so many like lovely nostalgic feelings about some of the places that Yadriel goes in the course of this adventure. So yeah, lots, lots of feelings about this one. Uh, So again, that's Cemetery Boys by Aiden Thomas. I did not know it was L.A. based. Now I definitely have to read it. I think you're going to love it. I totally am. I know it. It's on my list, actually. Okay, so my last one, I'm leaving you on a <laughs> on, a, on a dark note here. <laughs> uh, but it's such a good book. So my pick, my final pick is Riot Baby by Toche Anyabuchi. And I just think that this is a great, if you're looking for a book, that if you know somebody who's looking for fiction books that might provide some perspective about the Black Lives Matter movement and like the history of oppression there, I think that this is a perfect, perfect read. And I will note that it has all the trigger warnings. It's one of those books. It is not an easy read, as you might imagine, But it's very short. It's novella length. And I think it's very, very worth reading. So it's set in both uh, South Central Los Angeles, very briefly in South Central Los Angeles at the beginning of the book. And then it shifts over to Harlem in New York. And this story very much talks about things like it talks about the LA riots so that's where riot baby comes from because the story at the beginning it's right around the time the LA riots are going to happen and and uh Ella who's one of the main characters her younger brother is born amidst the literally amidst the LA riots so the story ends up following Ella and Kev the son her brother as they live their lives in 
really, really hard times. And they live with their mom, who's a single mom, and they're struggling all the time. And they end up moving from South Central after things get too rough there. And they go to Harlem in New York. And the thing about Ella is that she has this ability. She has what I'm hesitant to call a gift, but she has this ability to see what's going to happen to people. And specifically, she experiences this power very young in her life, and she sees a little boy, and she sees this really violent, horrible future for him because of racism and because of the things that are happening between policing and the black community so her abilities are very specifically linked to violence against the black community and then of course she has this younger brother that she has to worry about uh, because you know their mom is working all the time and there's this protective streak in her as happens but kev is also on his own journey and he's having his experiences and growing up in a community where there is systemic racism very much afoot. And he ends up in the prison system. So it's that pipeline prison system thing happening here. There's that that uh, topic to explore, which is very timely. And so Ella is dealing with anger of her own and rage she feels about the ways she sees her community and her brother treated and she's really struggling with this ability because she sees so much harm and so much hurt happening all the time and she has no way of controlling that and then Kev is trying to keep his nose down but also really angry because he's been put into these circumstances where there was really no way out for him and he was unfairly treated and prosecuted. So really, really difficult read, but there are lots of questions and lots of conversations to be had. I would also say if you have like a book club or book club members, this is a really good one for sparking conversations because there are so many ways a conversation can be can be directed when you read this book. And it's just, it felt really timely. It came out, I believe, last year, and it felt really timely this year. So I would definitely check out Riot Baby if you haven't already. And again, that's by Tochi Anyabuchi. All right. My last pick is for my hard sci-fi fans out there slash anyone who has wished that they could be an astronaut because who doesn't <laughs> wish at some point? I mean, who among us has not wished for this? Um, and it's Vagabonds by Hao Jingfang, translated by Ken Liu. Um, and my one warning for this book is that there's a reference to suicide, um, but otherwise it's 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 really interesting, y'all. It takes place in 2096, so like like at least 50 years, more than 50 years in the future, but it's still within sort of our comprehension, I guess, is the way I want to say it. Um, oh, no, wait, I take it back. The story sort of starts in 2096, and then we flash forward to 2196. Um, so in this future, Earth and Mars are fighting. Uh, Mars has been settled, and the settlers have, like, formed this sort of almost platonic republic, uh, and it's a very sort of distinct political situation then exists on Earth, and the two planets have been feuding in various ways. There's been withholding of supplies. There's been, you know, space battles. Um, but things have kind of quieted down, but maybe it's like very tense, kind of Cold War. And 
In an attempt to reopen dialogue, a delegation of teenagers, because why not, are sent to Earth from Mars, right? So they send a bunch of 16-year-olds or 15-year-olds from Mars to Earth to stay there for three years and to study and then like and to also to be ambassadors for Martian culture. And then the the story actually this is all like background history. The story picks up when those now 18 year olds are headed back to Mars after having been on Earth for three years. And they some of them have very complicated feelings about their time on Earth and, like, going back to Mars. Some of them are relieved. Some of them, like, I don't really care one way or the other. Um, And you're following several of these teens and then also some of the main players in the government on Mars. There's also a filmmaker, an Earth filmmaker, um, who's sort of on a quest to Mars to figure out, like, this this small sort of personal mystery about his mentor. Um, and you're getting all of these different perspectives on what exactly has caused this rupture and this clash and, like, what can be done about it. And is there a right way to govern? Like, is there an objectively correct way to rule? Is there ever a full justification for a war? Like, what what are your options? Like, when you have very different ideas about what culture should look like? Like, this is these are like heady, thinky, intellectual questions. And the book has a lot of philosophy around these things baked into it, um, both from Eastern and Western philosophical traditions. But it's also, like I said, told largely from the perspective of teenagers who are like, very teenage. <laughs> so you it doesn't I don't think it gets too lost in the political thinking. It's just an added layer um, to put what these uh, people are experiencing into context and the, the imaginativeness of this. I mean, what it's like for, you know, the, the civilization on Mars and what that's like is so in, such an interesting idea of what it could what it might look like. And I just loved the characters. I got really just in love with some of these storylines. Um, I had a lot of feelings throughout this book. And it was, it, I will say, it was an extremely escapist read because it just has zero things to do with anything that's going on in my life. Like, it just has <laughs> nothing to do with what I'm experiencing right now, which was really great. Um, and also, it's just a stunning book. It's one of my favorite sci-fi books of this year. And I'm so glad that Ken Liu's continued efforts to bring us uh, sci-fi and fantasy from China, from Chinese language uh, into English translations is proceeding because this is just, ugh, it's such a good book. Uh, so again, that's Vagabonds by Hao Jingfeng, translated by Ken Liu. And those are our holiday picks. Yay! Yay! <laughs> SFF yeah, is sound edited by DR Baker. Many thanks to them for making us sound great each and every episode. Thank you all for sending us your questions. They were delightful to read and choose books for. And thank you for listening. You can email us at sffyeah at bookriot.com. And if you have a moment, please review us on Apple Podcasts. You can find us online. Where can they find you, Jen? I am mostly on Instagram these days at I am Jen IRL. That's I A M J E N N I R L. I am quietly on Instagram as well. You can find me at S Zina Williams. That's S Z A I N A B Williams. And that's the show. Thank you. Thank you.